Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. As we wrap up our Advent series and turn our focus towards Christmas, we discuss death, that principality that causes so much sin and misery, that power that no matter what we do as humans, we cannot escape it. You're listening to Making the Crooked Straight, The One Who Lifts the Shroud by Reverend Peter Yonker. On this, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we turn again to the prophet Isaiah, and we hear this word from the Lord against death. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You've made the city a heap of rubble and the fortified town a ruin. The foreigner's stronghold, a city no more, it will never be built. Therefore, strong people will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will honor you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall. And like the heat of a desert, you silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. So, death at Christmas. What goes better than death and Christmas? How wonderful to have a sermon on death at Christmas time. Only five days before Christmas. And this is what we're going to preach on. Just five days before we celebrate the, uh, the angels singing and the shepherds rejoicing, and, and Peter, you're going to preach on death? Yes, I am. And I am because death is part of the story. Death comes to Bethlehem. And we're going to think about it together because death does not take two weeks off at Christmas time. That truth came home to me, and I'm guessing to many of you, in 2012 on December 14th, 2012, to be exact. That was the day that Adam Lanza went into the Sandy Hook Elementary School and killed 26 people, 20 of them children, most of them kindergartners. And if you're old enough to remember that event, if that event, if you were in a sort of in a conscious state, you remember what that felt like. You remember the pall that that cast over our Christmas celebrations, the weight the shroud, to use the language of our passage. I remember it acutely because that happened 
uh, two days, it was on a Friday that the, the, the event took place, two days later, we had our children's Christmas pageant. Two days later, we dressed up our youngest children, including our kindergartners in the tinfoil hats, in the shepherd's robes, and we had them get up on stage and tell the story of Christmas. Usually that children's Christmas program was nothing but joy, right? Grandparents in the pews, lots of smiles, lots of laughter, lots of cameras, lots of pictures taken. And that was still there. But there were also tears because we could feel the weight of death, the weight of the shroud. We've been listening to Isaiah during Advent. And what we've been talking about is how Isaiah says that the Messiah will come and he will straighten out all the busted parts of life. So we heard from Isaiah 1 and heard how the Messiah will straighten out sin. We heard from Isaiah 7 and heard how the Messiah would straighten out fear. We heard from Isaiah 42 last week and heard about the, how the Messiah will straighten out injustice. Today we hear from the prophet in Isaiah 25 that the Messiah will also deal with death. How will that go? Well, Isaiah 25 is at the end of a long section in the book of Isaiah of judgment. Basically, if you read from Isaiah chapter 12 through 24, so that's 12 chapters, you get 12 chapters devoted to the wrath of God directed against the sins of the nations. It's not easy reading. It's sort of this unrelenting judgment, and just about every nation, tribe, and language comes in for God's wrath. And just to give you a sense of, of what that whole section feels like, I'll, I'll just read the headlines. You know how in your pew Bibles you have those little bolded headlines? Let me just run through the bolded headlines so you get a sense of the, the sweep of those 12 chapters because I think it's important for us understanding what Isaiah is saying in our chapter. So in chapter 12, prophecy against Babylon, prophecy against the Philistines, prophecy against Moab, prophecy against Damascus, prophecy against Cush, Prophecy against Egypt, prophecy against Egypt and Cush, prophecy against Babylon again, against Edom, against Arabia, against Jerusalem, against Tyre, and then finally in chapter 24, a fitting summary to the whole thing, the Lord's devastation of the earth. Now, I welcome that you go home and read those chapters. It's important to know that part of Scripture. It's not a part of Scripture that people like to spend time in, but it's God's Word. Um, so go home and read it, and you'll get a sense of, of, of why God is so angry. And what he's angry about, the wrath, is directed at the sins of the people, including Israel. They're worshiping idols, they are oppressing the poor, they are being ruthless, they are partying too much, you name it, they're doing it. And God says, I will straighten that out. I don't let that stuff slide. I'm coming and I'm going to deal with it. And that brings us to chapter 25, what I just read. And if you're listening, hear that the first five verses of chapter 25 sort of fall in line with those 12 chapters, right? Judgment against the nations. I will destroy the citadels of the ruthless. I'll be a refuge for the poor and the needy. But then all of a sudden, in verse 6, something changes. There's a different enemy that the Lord directs his wrath against. Up till now, it's been nations. It's been flesh and blood people. But now all of a sudden, it's not flesh and blood people. It's principalities and powers. The word of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord is not directed against the nations, but against the powers. And in this case, death. 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will destroy the shroud that enfolds the peoples, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Do you hear how all of a sudden the judgment of God is going down to a deeper level? It's not just against the sins of people, which are bad enough, but now it's going down to the principalities and powers that cause people to sin that lead to human misery. So much of our sin and misery is caused or partially caused by death. Why do nations go to war? They go to war because they're worried about those other people over there, that other tribe, those strange people are going to go to war against us and kill us and take our stuff. Fear of death is the root of war. Fear of death is at the root of a lot of personal self-destructive behavior. Scripture says this. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. A lot of trivial escapist behavior, substances that people take, death is part of what drives them in that direction. Death is at the root of so much of our misery. Death the destroyer. Death the shroud that hangs over the people. And Isaiah says that the Lord will come, and when he comes, he will come with power. He will rend the heavens and come down. All humankind will see it together, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Okay. I wonder what kind of coming Isaiah expected from the Lord when he wrote these words. I think I know what kind of coming Isaiah's audience would have expected when they heard these words spoken by the prophet. They would have expected someone who comes in power. They would have expected someone who was clothed in strength and clothed in might, someone who strides forward forcefully, because it would take someone strong, right, to, to bring justice to all those nations and to defeat even death. That would have to be a mighty warrior. 700 years later, the mighty warrior arrives. But he doesn't stride forth in power. He's caught by his father's hands and he comes into the world crying and is held in the arms of a peasant girl. And he isn't clothed in power and clothed in might. He's wrapped in bands of cloth and laid in a manger against the cold. If someone had to come to Isaiah or if someone had to come to Isaiah's listeners and said, behold, the promised king, the one who's going to bring justice, the one who's going to straighten out all those nations and the one who's going to defeat death forever, there he is lying in the manger, they would not have believed it because he was so small. But you know who knows the truth? Death. Death is not fooled. Death knows exactly who that baby is. And so from the moment Jesus is born, Death comes and tries to snatch him up and devour him. Death tries to snatch him up right out of the manger. Herod, when the wise men do not give away where the child is lying, when they deceive him and go back by another way, Herod sends out that order that all the male children under two be killed in Bethlehem. And the shroud of death is laid over that little town. Death tries to devour Jesus. Jesus escapes that time, right? He goes off into Egypt. 
But that initial foray begins this sort of toe-to-toe battle that death and Jesus have throughout his ministry. Throughout his ministry, death and Jesus are facing off against each other and getting in blows against each other. Death strikes first. We already mentioned Herod. Then the devil himself shows up and tries to tempt Jesus away from his mission. Jesus resists. And then at Jesus' first sermon... The people in his hometown are so incensed that they try to throw Jesus off a cliff and kill him. Again, he slips away. Death tries to snatch him. He slips through. Then Jesus grows up. And he gets strong enough that he gets in a few blows of his own against death. He raises a widow's son right off a funeral train outside the town of Nain. He goes into the house of a little girl as she lies dead in her bed and says, Talitha kum, and raises her up. And then finally, he goes to the graveside of his friend Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Lazarus rises from the dead. Jesus keeps snatching death's prey right out of death's mouth, and death is furious. In fact, death is so furious that he launches a final assault, seizes Jesus, Strips him, beats him, nails him to a cross until he breathes no more, and then takes his limp body, wraps it in a cloth, throws it in a tomb, and puts a big rock in front of it and says, there, surely this is the end. But just when death thinks that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him, Jesus rises from the grave, and he takes that cloth, that shroud, that he's been wrapped in, and he rolls it up and puts it neatly at the end of the place where he has been laying, and he walks out of the grave. On this mountain, I will destroy the shroud that covers all the people. On this mountain, says the Lord, I will destroy death forever. Lying in that bed, that baby may look small, and inauspicious, but make no mistake, that baby is strong, and he has come to fight death, and he will win. Fleming Rutledge, a great Episcopal preacher, one of my favorite preachers, talks about um, what she got, what she calls her most unforgettable Christmas card that she ever received. And it was a card that she and her husband got from an agency that specializes in urban relief. So kind of like some of these agencies we have around here an agency that works among the poorest of the poor, trying to bring hope. And the card on the front of it featured a black and white image of a ragged child sitting in an urban lot where there was garbage and and just junk all around, looking forlorn and all alone and broken. As she says it, sitting forlornly in a bleak, littered courtyard of a slum dwelling. That was the image on the card. And then the message of the card on a bold red background, and then in white letters, part of the Song of Zechariah from Luke chapter 1. It said, The day shall dawn from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's quite a Christmas card. I promise you there was no glitter on it, no cherubs, no rosy-cheeked children in sleighs, And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of cards. That kind of festive stuff is part of Christmas. But this is part of Christmas too. The Lord who comes to confront death, to destroy it forever. It's at the heart of the story. 
Thinking about how that little frail baby is actually the champion who will destroy death actually helps us as we think about how we face death and how we deal with the evil in our world every day. Last week, in her sermon, maybe you remember, Ruth very eloquently said that all of us have sometimes this sense of being overwhelmed by the powers of this world, by the sense of death in our world, all the divisions, all the lying, all the, the fear that's out there. And we think, how can I, one little person, possibly do something against so much reckless hate? Well, when you see that little baby in the manger, you realize you don't have to be big to give death a punch in the nose. You don't have to have enormous social power. You don't have to do some sort of epic deed. Small things work just fine. I have a little um, thing that I pin up in my office right over top of my desk where I work. I got a lot of things in my office, little inspirational things that sort of keep me going. And this one I put up a few months ago in the middle of the pandemic, and it was a quote from some bishop I'd never heard of before, but this is what it says. It says, live your life in such a way that it would not make sense if God did not exist. Live your life in such a way that it would make absolutely no sense if God did not exist. And in my own mind, I paraphrase that to say, do something every single day that would make no sense if God did not exist. Do some small, kind, sacrificial thing in the life of some broken, lonely, hurting person. Just one thing that would make no sense if God did not exist. And I promise you, you will give death a punch in the nose. You will punch your fist through the shroud of death and let the light in for another human being. On December 25th, 2012, so that Christmas day, 11 days after the um, Sandy Hook thing, a Catholic priest named um, Kevin O'Neill was asked to do an op-ed piece in the New York Times. And the subject he was given is, what do Christians say? How do Christians possibly celebrate Christmas and call it good news in the face of such a dark event? And Father O'Neill wrote what I thought was a good piece. And he didn't try to answer all the questions, because that's, I think, pretty impossible. He wasn't glib. But what he did is he recalled something that happened to him early on in his ministry. When he was just three months into his ministry, he was called to the bedside of a family late at night, um, an immigrant Peruvian family whose three-year-old daughter had suddenly died. So this, this young priest, just trying to figure it out, walks into this room, and there's the mother, and she's holding her three-year-old baby in her arms, and everyone's crying, and the shroud of death is hanging heavy over that place. What did he do? He, he did not know what words to say, and even if he did know what words to say, he didn't speak Spanish, so he wouldn't have been able to communicate with them. So what did Father O'Neill do? He put his hands on those grieving people, and he said a prayer for them, poured out his heart in a prayer. And then he spent the rest of that night sitting with them, weeping with them, helping them, advocating for them in small ways all night long until the sun came up the next morning. A small thing, perhaps, but a Christmas thing. To make yourself incarnate in the middle of someone else's misery, to absorb a little of that misery, and to try to return it with kindness and Christian love. It's a Jesus thing. Jesus, who came into the midst of all our misery, absorbed it all, and gave us in return a feast. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your grace, which moves towards our brokenness and our fear and in our uncertainty. Thank you for this 
this love that comes to us in this small way but ends up filling the entire world with hope and becomes a power strong enough through the cross that, that puts a stake in the heart of evil. Lord, help us not to lose sight of that vision. Help us to kneel at the foot of the manger, to kneel at the foot of the cross, to see the open grave, and then to become the kind of people who can walk in the world with resilient hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.